The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. We've got Mark Dolly and Kara Waddell. Good morning, everyone. And a lot busy week, Carrie, right? In the financial world. Yeah. Year two of the Rona. I, I, I've talked to a lot of people this week that actually think that year two of the Rona is actually worse than year one. Maybe because it's dragged out? I don't think so. And I have to think about that because it was certainly bad in 2020. Right. But maybe it feels worse in 2021 because we thought we were done over with it. it. Yeah, I think any part of it, everybody's done. I'm done with it. I'm sick of it. I've been sick of it. So, but we did have uh, our Fed chairman, Jerome Powell. And there's a lot of. There were, everyone was waiting for his, what he was going to say this week. Right. And there's a lot of people worried about inflation. There's a lot of people worried about, you know, the, if the Fed is going to, you know, raise interest rates too quickly. Mm-hmm. So all the fixed interests, you know, are going to go up and inflation, and that's going to be, bring on a, the next economic downturn. And I, I, this is, I always call this is my Fed Chairman Powell music. Right? Because one thing I like about Fed officials, <coughs> as opposed to our politicians, is they, they don't scream. They talk with confidence. Right. And, you re- and they're in the middle. They're, they're, they're kind of even keeled. They're, they're, yeah, and they're not, they're not politically. Well, that's how what they should be. Maybe because they base things on facts. The pandemic has also left a significant imprint on inflation. <clears throat> Following large declines in the spring, consumer prices picked up over the summer, in part reflecting a rise in durable goods prices. So we all saw that. However, right. those sectors that have been most affected by the pandemic, prices <clears throat> remain particularly soft. Overall, on a 12-month basis, inflation remains below our 2% longer-run objective. <clears throat> As we have emphasized throughout the pandemic, the outlook for the economy is extraordinarily uncertain okay. and will depend in large part on the success of efforts to keep the virus in check. There it is. The recent rise in new COVID-19 cases, both here in the United States and abroad, is particularly concerning. All of us have a role to play in our nation's response to the pandemic. Following the advice of public health professionals to keep appropriate social distances and to wear masks in public, will help get the economy back to full strength. A full economic recovery is unlikely until people are confident that it's safe to re-engage in a broad range of activities. The Federal Reserve's response to this crisis has been guided by our mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. See, that's the dual mandate. They, they never vary from that. Maximum employment right. and a stable price. Stable but you got to get people who can work to want to go back we to gotta work. We got to get people back <laughs> to work, right? And there's and a lot of people think it's that's our our government's doing by offering so much incentives not to go back. To right, work. absolutely. Along with our responsibilities to promote the stability of the financial system, as noted in our statement on longer run goals and monetary policy strategy. 
We view maximum employment as a broad-based and inclusive goal. Our ability to achieve maximum employment in the years ahead depends importantly on having longer-term inflation expectations well anchored at 2%. See, there's still 2%. As we said in September and again today, with inflation running persistently below 2%, we will aim to achieve inflation moderately above 2% for some time. So that it... And that's no surprise. This is what he was saying years ago. He's saying, yeah... Remember, they were stymied. They couldn't get inflation above 2%, right, mm-hmm. uh, until the Rona beach ball recovery. But but the idea was they were, they had already made a decision, the change of focus, and saying, we're going to let it. We're not, we're not going to – our goal isn't to keep it under 2% at all costs. At right now, we're okay letting it float above 2% to get, to get, the, get the government to spend the money to get, to get over the Rona shutdown, the artificial shutdown. But the idea is it, it's okay if it floats a little bit above 2%. Now, they never really put a, do, a percentage on it, whether that be 3%. Certainly, they weren't talking about the beach ball bounce 5% or 8%. You know, right. But, but they're, they're saying is if you look at a long-term average, inflation doesn't change on a dime. This was an artificial shutdown. This was a once-in-a-hundred-year in a pandemic. And the idea was, yeah, but prior to that, everything was just fine and and inflation was intact and employment was at full employment it's so yes it's it's gonna how long is it gonna take to get back there but i do also i don't know if this is the same thing when you hear the scare tactics by a lot of people saying that inflation is going to be double you know double digit forever Inflation averages 2% over time and longer term inflation expectations remain well anchored at 2%. We expect to maintain an accommodative stance of monetary policy until these employment and inflation outcomes are achieved. <clears throat> With regard to interest rates, we continue to expect that it will be appropriate to maintain. Okay, this is the other thing. Everyone's saying, I heard a lot of talk this week about saying, uh oh, interest rates, you know, they're going to lift off and, and get ready. And when they raise the interest rates, you're just going to see inflation go up and up. So this was the other big news or the big, what people were waiting for was when is the Federal Reserve, first of all, when are they going to start tapering, meaning stop buying the, the, the stock, you know, the, the Treasury buybacks, $120 billion a year, but also, more maybe importantly, when are they going to raise? interest rates so you know originally the the fed was saying well maybe 2023 2024 a lot of people thinking oh they're going to do it right now i don't think they're going to do it right now Mm -hmm. so let's hear what paul says current zero to one quarter percent target range for the federal funds rate until labor market conditions have reached levels consistent with the committee's assessments of maximum employment and inflation has risen to two percent and is on track to moderately exceed two percent for some time. In addition, over coming months, we will continue to increase our holdings of Treasury securities and agency mortgage-backed securities, at least at the current pace. These asset purchases are intended to sustain smooth market functioning and help foster accommodative financial conditions, thereby supporting the flow of credit to households and businesses. At this meeting, my colleagues and I discussed our asset purchases and the role they are playing in supporting the recovery. At the current pace, our holdings of uh, securities are rising at a substantial rate of one hundred twenty billion dollars All right, so he just goes on with that, but I, I'll, I'll cut it off there. But that—that's so. I, but I like—I think they do have a plan, and I don't think it's politically motivated. I think they are after a what's good for America plan. Mm-hmm. So that's novel because you know that's not a politician. Now but... a lot of people aren't going to agree with me on that. Right. And and they're going to say no Powell is just in President Biden's back pocket or Powell is going right. to do anything Biden wants him to do so Biden I would gives him not. a second term. Mm, I hope not. And, and flip a coin right now if Biden will give Powell a second term or not. Uh, there's a lot of people thinking he deserves a second term. There's a lot of people thinking that he doesn't deserve a second term. Um, I, you know, I, we'll see what, how that comes out. But the idea is if, if it is, if that's what you're concerned about, that interest rates are going to go up and, or inflation is going to skyrocket or stay, remain a lot higher than 2% indefinitely, you, there's a couple of things you can do. 
One is you can, uh, I guess, just freeze and decide you can't retire right now or next year if you're planning. Or if you're already in retirement, I guess you can cancel your riverboat cruise uh, because inflation is going to you know, eat away your grocery bill. Um, or perhaps our alternative is why don't you build a plan R? In other words, we're assuming you've got a financial plan running right now that shows you're going to be okay. And maybe that was based on current inflation rates or prior the Rona recovery uh, inflation rates. And so now maybe you want to create a, a, a secondary plan that says, all right, I was going to assume 3% inflation for the next 25 years. I wonder what my plan would look like if I just increased that by a half a percentage point or one percentage point or however high you want to do it. And that's the idea of saying, okay, I'm going to run an alternative model just like the Federal Reserve is doing. Mm -hmm. I can imagine how many models they're running and they're getting prepared because if in if 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 reality changes an assumption if the data tells you something differently than what you're assuming it, the federal reserve isn't just going to shut down they're going to say all right we have to adjust we're we run models and if and if and if if and if, if what we're saying doesn't happen if we if we don't see this you know heightened inflation cool off in the next 12, 18 months, all right, then we're going to adjust again. And they say they've got the tools to deal with that. So it, it's, it's, that's the same approach that we take with our clients. When we're, we're working with our clients, so, so many of our clients right now, we've gone back in and we've adjusted their financial model, their financial plan, and says, let's assume a higher rate of inflation than what we were assuming before, just to see if it does have a material effect on the longevity of your financial plan. And if it does, all right, perhaps you do have to make a change now. But if it doesn't, maybe you don't have to make a knee-jerk reaction. And that, I can't stress, that is really the benefit of getting a good custom written financial plan. One that, you know, you make assumptions, conservative and realistic assumptions, based on what you know today, and, and then you just don't put it into a sock drawer for 30 years. That is a working tool that allows you to, to monitor your own progress. And also, now when reality changes an assumption that you've made, you know how to go in and manipulate or change your plan accordingly to see if it's going to completely derail what your longevity or financial plan or if it's just a minor setback and what adjustments do you have to get back on track? Carrie, get us started. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Financial Food for Thought. We're here every Saturday morning on 1420 between 9 and 10. We're a financial educational talk program here to give you helpful information about issues that may impact your financial life. <clears throat> And we help people both who are retired and working. Um, the estate planning team who sponsors the show has been around the greater Cleveland area more than 35 years. We're an affordable Ohio registered fiduciary planning firm. And what we do is build custom financial plans, do detailed, objective, unbiased analysis with financial decisions you face so that you know the long-term result and you can make informed good decisions, not only that often save you money in the long run uh, or give you more net benefit, but also give you peace of mind um, that you'll be okay. And if you're not going to be okay, you know exactly what steps you need to take in order to do that. Um, because we focus on the fi traditional financial planning piece, um, we don't do the investing. We have a lot of clients that do investments on their own, or we have clients that work with investment advisors that do a great job. And we believe in talking with those investment advisors and building a plan to know what growth rate you need to be okay um, in the long run and why take on more risk than necessary and how to create the income you need in the future as tax efficiently as possible. And oftentimes, right, especially now in this time of year, there are opportunities. And in many cases with potential tax law changes <clears throat> and other things going on um, in 2021, between now and the end of the year, especially if you're someone who has IRAs, company plans, you're looking, want to look at Roth conversion planning, um, last year, it was a good time because they eliminated the minimum required to so open up op other opportunities. But now, because of potential changes, people may 
want to take steps and implement things between now and the end of the year that can create a future um, tax efficient income and savings and opportunities that may go away. And the estate planning team offers a free, no obligation consultation. We're happy to do that by phone or in person. And our home office is in Middleburg Heights. Um, We're happy to do either one. And the free consultation, we'll do a free analysis today and give you helpful information and we have both hourly and comprehensive retainer fees for people who need a little bit or a lot of help. We're helping people with IRA distribution plannings, Roth conversion, and we still, with a great resignation, have a lot of people coming in and saying, can I stop working? Or when's the earliest I can stop working? Can I afford the encore career? Or I don't mind working. I just don't want to do this kind of job. Can I afford to take... The hobby career, Can I take... Even better than the encore career. Yeah, or some people just say, I don't want to do... I mean, we have people that do something totally different. Maybe they'll go work at Lowe's or Home Depot or something they feel like is low stress, just fun, um, whatever that may be. And, you know, and people want to know, and that's not easy to do. And you need, there's a lot of considerations you need to um, think about before you make that decision to stop that income from work, especially if you've had a long-term job and it's making those pension elections, the timing of social security, the healthcare is a huge piece. I mean, I've talked to people um, that were sticker shocked when they realized because they've had good companies, they've had some, you know, a company picking up a good portion. You know, if you're under 65 and you need to pay for health care on your own, it has a hefty price tag. Um, so those are, we're helping any of those people. And if you'd like to take advantage of a free consultation and look at your own planning opportunities, you can call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. That's 440 440- Two three nine twenty ninety or financialfoodforthought.com. All right. Thanks, Carrie. You know, you said about the great resignation, and we've been talking a lot about that, but and we had mentioned at the beginning of the show, too, is why aren't people going back to work? Right? I mean, there's a, there's a help wanted sign in every storefront in, in America right now, right? And I don't know if you were really looking for a job. I'm not sure why you wouldn't be able to find one, Carrie, right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they it's say if you're not looking, the job you want, but no. But they said if you're looking, this is the time to switch. We, so we talked about that. A lot of people think, well, because of all the government Rona uh, relief incentives and money dropped into people's laps, that that's what's keeping people from going back to work. And and Merrill Lynch did a study, Carrie, and it said that for the 12 month period between April 2020 and April 2021. An unemployed family of four with two children received an average of $108,800 in unemployment compensation, stimulus checks, and other government assistance. So is that America's new UBI? That uh. the gover- for every family in America with two children, that the government is just going to hand out $108,000 a year? Jeez. Do you really think that's sustainable? Uh, no, absolutely not. So if they're saying the stimulus checks aren't sustainable, how the heck is that sustainable? Um, now, sustainable. Sorry. So as I open with comments from Federal Chair Powell, and it was a live meeting. A lot of times the Federal Reserve, you know, FMOC meetings are just boring and nothing new. This was hardly the case. I just want to touch on four topics quickly, Carrie, right? And and that I took away from that meeting. Well, one is that, yeah, they're not raising interest rates right now, all right? They're going to keep them at zero. But the dot plot did change. Remember, you remember they're always talking about the dot plot? Do you understand the dot plot? No, Carrie? I don't. All right. So the dot plots is there's 18 members of the FOMC, right? You know, the uh, Federal Open Market Committee. And they're like the, the central bank Fed right. uh, president, um, right? And so the 18 of them. And so they try to... They 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 survey eighteen like on the major questions like when do you think we should raise interest rates okay or when do you think we should start tapering or you okay. know or whatever the, the topic is so then they they plot these eighteen dots and we and we try to get a consensus about what the eighteen are thinking okay all right so for example um, on raising <coughs> interest rates you know for twenty twenty one all eighteen were in no we're not raising interest rates okay all right. Um, now, but it shifted. The dots changed for 2022. 
okay, next year. Now it's split. Nine are still saying, let's not raise interest rates. And nine are saying, yeah, let's raise interest rates. Of the nine that are saying, let's raise, six of them, you know, want to raise it between 0.25 and 0.5%. Remember, Paul was saying it's right now, it's 0.0 to 0.25, right? One quarter of a percent. So six want to raise it up, you know, to that range between 0.25 and a half a percentage point. And three want to go ahead into the next quarter, quarter, quartile, 0.5% to 0.75%. It really goes up in 2023. Now in 2023, there's only one dot who's saying still let's not raise interest rates. So now 17 believe we better be raising interest rates by 2023. Um, And in those, uh, four of them are saying at the first quarter up, three of them are saying the next quarter up, then six are saying up to the one to 1.25%. And then three of the 18 are saying even above the 1.5%. So you can see, you know, now, our own uh, Cleveland Fed president, right, Loretta Mester, she came out and she's one of the nine that says she does believe that interest rates should go up next year. But in her comments, she specifically said the end of the year. So it's, she's not. So when they say next year, it doesn't necessarily mean January. Okay, it may mean December or November, right? So keep that in mind as well. So why is that important? That's important if, if for example, you're looking to get a mortgage in the next 12 months. Um, secondly, what I took away from the Fed meeting was that they laid the groundwork to start tapering, you know, the 120 billion purchases of U.S. Treasuries and agency mortgage-backed securities beginning this November. Right, so there's no surprise here. Everybody kind of knows. Hopefully, there won't be a taper tantrum because they've given enough advancing. Yeah, we're getting. Is anybody listening? We're gonna start tapering in November. Okay. All right. Um, now, um, the other, the third thing that I took away was there a little ethics scandal. This is kind of interesting, right? So, Robert Kaplan, who is the Dallas <laughs> Fed president, I, t- I, okay. I quote him all the time. Pretty smart right. guy, right? And the Boston Fed. Uh, president Eric uh, Rosengren, I think his name is, they got a little trouble okay. because apparently through financial disclosures, it's it's now determined that during the Rona shutdown, you know, in 2020, they were actively buying and selling stocks, potentially with companies who may be getting government, sti- you know, stimulus. And and and, uh, you know, Polka, Elizabeth Warren is really upset about that. Because she's saying, hey, they're doing insider trading. And that's a big scandal right now going on in the Fed. But, but the tricky part is, I guess what they were doing really isn't illegal. Okay, then. But is it ethically moral? Hmm. Um, so that you're going to be hearing more about. And, and it's, a whole, it's the same thing. Remember, the, we, had the same, we had a lot of congressmen who got caught doing, you know, you know, doing that insider trading during the pandemic shutdown. And, and, oh, yeah. And, and, Did anything happen with that? Are you kidding me? Right. Um, you know, so the, the, the I other, love when she calls them out. Right. And actually, Jerome Powell commented on that. He said, well, you know, I don't know what we can do because he personally said, I buy muni bonds because at the time I was told that was a safe thing for me to buy. Well, now I could be called on the carpet because during the the relief, the the government actually said we're going to buy, we're going to, you know, bail out the muni bonds that are in trouble. So actually, the Federal Reserve started buying muni bonds. So does that mean now Powell was insider trading on muni bonds? And where, what can they do, Gary? I guess they, they. I guess if you're maybe that's the answer. If you're if you're a, a congressman or a Fed a, a president, you, you, you can keep get all your money in anything? the mattress. Yeah. I thought it was, was all resolved. I just thought they had to hire a, a independent third party to manage their assets. But I guess I'm missing something. Um, all right. Uh, the fourth thing to uh, take away is, uh, and this is what a lot of people are talking about: is what is the Fed going to do about the cryptocurrency? Do you think they? Tax right. it. So what Paul said. <laughs> well, Come on, it's the government. They do tax it right now, Carrie. It's taxes of capital appreciating assets. Right. Um, not they're going to tax it more. They're going to give it special taxes. It's a little trouble when it's crypto because no one knows if you got it or not. Right. So it's a little tough to tax it, but whatever. Um, no, the Fed is pushing ahead with its study into whether to implement its own digital currency. And they said they'll be releasing a paper on the issue shortly. Now, I don't know what shortly quite means. I guess we call this, a, they call it a CBCD, 
I think that stands for the central bank digital currency. Um, but everybody's waiting to hear is if they come up with one, is it going to be Bitcoin? Is it going to be one of the other ones? There's thousands out there. Or is it, are they going to make up their own and call it the you know U.S. coin? Um, we don't know. And, and this is coming off the same news this week where China just made cryptocurrencies illegal. So it, it, what's going on? You know, you know. Um, so what did he say? I think it's important that we get into a place where we can make an informed decision about this and do so expeditiously, Paul said. Um, I don't think we're behind. I think it's more important to do this right than to do it fast. Um, uh, the, the test for the CBDC, he said, is are, are there clear and tangible benefits that outweigh the costs and risks? Um, some concerns even have been raised that if the Fed does not act more aggressively, the dollar's position as a global reserve currency could be challenged. Paul uh, kind of, you know, kind of walk that back and saying, eh, no, not really. No to the dollar's position in the world and, and said that the Fed is, is in a good place to make a decision on whether to implement its own digital currency. Um, he expressed some concern about the regulatory landscape and said the Fed likely will need congressional permission should it decide to proceed. So, so that's what a lot of people are waiting for, too, uh, on what's going on there. Um, so let's see. What else do I – just a quick note here um, about the IRS. You may be getting some fan mail from the IRS. Mm, and I don't want that. We always say, you know, don't panic. If you get fan mail, because a lot of times it's just the IRS robots that are kicking out what we call desk audits or desk reviews, where the the robot is just has a what we call a matching error, meaning that a number that was reported on one of the lines on the tax return doesn't match to the tax document, whether it be a W-2 or a 1099-R or what have you. Uh, 1099 interest, 1099, you know, dividend, what have you, that was reported to the government. All right. And so it's a, it's a matching error, right? It sometimes carry it's, it's what the taxpayer reports as estimated payments that doesn't agree with the, the IRS's account of what was paid in estimated payments. Which happens sometimes in error. So kind of happens all the time, doesn't right. it? Right. Um, so. That's why you want to keep copies of your check document, right. or if you pay it electronically, you should have a receipt from that. And and one of the things I think that the IRS robots are are either they're buying more of them or they're getting smarter because uh, I think they're they're catching these a lot more, or maybe they're just you know getting used to the idea that you don't need a human to send out these notices, right? Now, so generally, um, for this for the previous year. There was about 629,000 math errors that were kicked out. How, how many thousand? 629,000. I thought that's what you said. I was like, what? That was the previous year. That's over half a million mathematical well, well, errors? It was a little bit higher this year, Carrie. Okay. This year was 9 million. So almost, 9 million? 9 million. Oh. And, and <clears throat> so the, the question is, um, why were there 9 million Math errors. And the vast majority... <laughs> math is math. Well, you know, the vast majority relates to the recovery rebate credit. Oh, yeah. Because we've had people that they didn't think they got it, and then they filed on the return they didn't get it, but then had to file an amended return because they actually forgot they received it. So right. I'm sure that makes sense this year. I'll give it, like, this year. So, you know, again, so we always say if you get fan mail from the IRS, don't panic. It may just be a robot checking a math there. But it, it, it gets into our conversation about year-end planning, which we are getting geared up to do now at the estate planning team. And because we're getting, don't look now, Carrie, but we're getting into October. Mm -hmm. And it's getting so complicated with our tax codes, especially with all the stimulus and everything that happened in the last couple of years. Yeah, you've got to, you know, to us, it's you've got to address some of these things before you sit down to file your return, you know, in March. You know, and the idea is what are you, what can you be doing right now 
to, you know, to, to get, to help you in this process, including, you know, you don't want to miss, for example, a required minimum distribution. You know, remember last year, the required right. minimum distributions were suspended. I hope a lot of people don't forget that they're back on this year, right? Um, a lot of those required distributions, are you making sure, did you do withholding or not? If you haven't done your required minimum distribution yet for this year, don't miss it, right? So these are the things that all part of what we call year-end planning. And if you need help with that, you know, we do a great job. We, we, we get really busy at this time of year because a lot of our clients are just now into this habit. Right. And we really, we do a lot of three-way phone calls with their CPAs and their tax accountants and with their investment advisors to say, Hey, let's, where are we at? Let's get a, let's get, let's get a thermometer. You know, how much did we have in realized gains and losses? How much have we do? Have we got all our RMDs out? How much more do we have to do? Or, and by the way, are we going to do a Roth conversion? Before right. Can you harvest end? gains or losses? I mean, there's how many people said, you know, that they've gotten to our process as a client and then they're like, I never knew I could do that or I never knew that opportunity. And over time, those little chunks of savings can add up to significant amounts of money. And um, that's what we focus on is trying to bring the most value and benefit to our clients. Uh, we offer the free consultation um, to look at these issues. And again, many people, you don't know what you don't know. And many people don't realize the opportunities are missing. And we're willing to do the free consultation by phone or in person. You don't even have to leave your house. Our number is 440-239-2090. If you leave a message, we will call you back on Monday. Or you can email us through our website, financialfoodforthought.com. That's financial foodforthought.com. All right, listen to Mark Dolly and Kara Waddell, and we're the co-owners of the estate planning team. The estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years. And over those decades, we certainly have talked through our clients, <laughs> talked them off the bridge, right, about proposed tax law changes. Now, if you mm -hmm. didn't catch our show last week, you can always go back and listen to our podcast. And we... we we highlighted last week what the House Ways and Means Committee, what they proposed as tax law changes that got did get voted by the House. Now we're waiting for the Senate, right, to see what the Senate thinks the tax law changes should be or how they plan on paying for the budget resolution or the soft infrastructure of $3.5 which nobody believes right now that will be anywhere near $3.5 trillion, but whatever. Um, now, and I want to thank everyone, Carrie, too, who came out to the class, you know, mm -hmm. who, who, uh, who braved the, the downpour on Wednesday. Right. And there was a lot of discussion about, yeah, are these new ta proposed tax law changes that the House was talking about? Does it affect me? Do I need to be worried, Mark? Do I not need to be worried? And I, I, I want to break that down again. You know, in, in other words, if you're if you're reading the headlines or, or hearing the 30 second sound bites of the politicians or what have you, and you're saying, oh, that's a fact, you know, just write down these things. You know, the first thing you want to write down is the what the House said is the most of these tax law increases, let's call them, Carrie, right, is going to affect you if you're above President Biden's decree of 400,000, right? So once again, we, they also clarified that it's taxable income, that the, the threshold, not based on adjusted gross income or modified adjusted gross income. Well, that's a difference. If you don't know what that difference is, come in and see us right. or talk to your CPA. There is right? a difference, a big difference. Right. So here he goes. Just write this down. Single, 400,000. Married finally jointly, 450,000. Head of household, 425,000. Married filing separately, 400000 Just write that down. And then when you hear that the income tax rates are going up or the long-term capital gain tax rates are going up or that they're going to take away Roth conversions or that you won't be allowed to do a backdoor Roth contribution anymore, if you say, uh-oh, that affects me, go back to this threshold. And if you're under that threshold, you don't have to worry about it. If you're above that threshold, you might. You have to click, and that's what we said last week too. You right now, you have to quickly determine, are you affected by these Democratic tax proposals or are you not? And because if you are affected by them, you, your time to, uh, uh, to defend against them is running out. Mm -hmm. And you do have to act mm -hmm. by the end of the year. 
If you're not, then you might not have to make a knee-jerk reaction. No, but you may have still opportunities because we don't know what Congress is going to do with tax laws and all their proposals. Right. Um, yeah, and this was just the House. This is not right. law yet. Now, you know, and I, I, and we don't know what the Senate, you know, and all we got from Chuck Schumer, you know, Senate Majority Leader, is that they've agreed on a framework. Wow. How to pay That's for like the an tax outline. <laughs> like if I have in college a paper, Thanks, I, Chuck. I start with an outline. So that's a lot of help. Yeah. Um, now, because um, I heard, you know, people talk during the week that, oh, that, oh, the higher capital gains tax rate is going to affect everybody. No, that's not exactly true. Okay. What the House plan said was that they wanted to raise the top capital gains tax rate, not all capital gain tax rates. And when we have these classes here, I'm glad we're doing the classes again because I get to get an idea of what people are thinking about. Right? Okay. Um, but the uh, we asked that question, is, does anybody even know what the long-term capital gain tax rates are? And, and I don't think a lot of people do. <laughs> no. Um, I, you know, but here there's right now under the current law, there's three of them. There's 0%. That's my favorite. Okay. There is 15%. And there is 20%. Okay. Those are the three major, you know, capital gains. Okay. And which one you are affected by is how much taxable income you show that year on the return. So the one of the thresholds we talk a lot about, and this is what a lot about year-end planning comes in, is that a lot of our clients want to max out the 0% long-term capital gains rate, which is also, by the way, the 0% qualified dividend rate. And for married filing jointly, that's if your taxable income can stay under $80,800 for 2021. If you're single, it's 40400 Okay. Now, the 15% rate, that starts married filing jointly at the 80801 but that goes up to... Five hundred one thousand six hundred. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big ceiling, high right. ceiling. All right, for a single, that you you, get, you have the fifty percent rate up to four hundred forty five thousand eight fifty, and then under the current law, the twenty percent rate kicks in above that. So again, a single, if you have over four hundred forty five thousand eight fifty one of taxable income, you've got the twenty percent long term capital gains rate. Married filing jointly, if your taxable income is over 501601 you get the higher 20% capital gains tax rate. What the House Ways and Means Committee said is, we're only going to raise the 20% to 25% for those high income. And again, at that 400 and the 450 and those numbers I told you to write down five minutes ago. All right, so... It doesn't mean that if you're currently in the 0% long-term capital gains rate that your capital gains rate is going to go to 5%. It doesn't mean that if you're currently in a 15% long-term capital gains rate that your capital gains rate is going to 20%. That's not what the House said. Yet I heard a lot of people during the week say that. They're worried about it because they see or the headline and say... it's a scare tactic. Right. Or people just read the headlines but don't read the detail and... Of course, the headlines are always going to... How many times have I read an article online and said, oh, that sounds so interesting? And I'm like, that was stupid. Right. Or uh, that was... Yeah. And what I mean by a scare tactic, it's politically driven. Or it's to get your attention to read something or... Yeah. Um, or to sell you a product. Yeah. That, I was going to say that's a good one. All right. Now, um, so, you know, now again, this isn't law. I think there's less than a 50% chance of, of, those, uh, of those changes happening. But... If if you are above those thresholds, right. do you want to risk it? <laughs> do you want to be proactive and at least use opportunities where we know what the tax rates are today? We know what tax laws are for 2021. And do you want to make maneuvers because it may not pass today, but we don't know what's going to go on in 2022 with regard to it and with the government spending and how to be as proactive as you can. Right. Because, uh, you know, we were working with uh, a client who had called up for his year end planning and he was in the he had been doing Roth conversion. Right. So every year we figure out how much room he has to do a Roth conversion so he doesn't go through one of those thresholds that you don't want to go through, right? Mm-hmm. And we we brought up and he said, Well Mark, I thought I couldn't do Roth conversions anymore. See, it's like, no, where where did you get that from? 
He said, well, I just thought that the, the uh, you know, that the, the Democrats were going to take away Roth conversions. I said, no, that's not the law right now. Mm-hmm. Two, the House said they want to take away Roth conversions again for those making more than that for married filing jointly, $450,000. That's who they want to take away Roth conversions. And quite frankly, Carrie, remember in twenty before prior to twenty ten, if you if you were married if you had over a hundred thousand dollars of modified adjusted gross income, you couldn't do Roth conversions. Right. You know that law law that cap that ceiling was lifted in twenty ten. That's when a lot of wealthy people started doing Roth conversions. Right. Um, but remember, it was hundred. So now, and we always said for the since twenty ten is that if if the government ever thought that too many wealthy people were sheltering money in Roth IRAs, they just they, add the cap. They back. put the cap back on. It doesn't mean that they would say that all of a sudden what you did in Roth was going to be taxable. Right. They're not going to go back and do that. But, but yeah, so now the new cap that the house wants to put on isn't 100,000 of magic, it's 450,000 of taxable income. But even if they decide to lower it, that's why each tax year stands alone and it's something that you need to be proactive and constantly looking at it for opportunities. And even if you're in a zero tax bracket, that doesn't mean you just leave it as is and stay at the zero. Maybe you want to think about maxing out the zero tax bracket. And if you're at a zero and not taking minimum required distribution and retired, maybe do you understand what your future taxes would be? I mean, there's constantly finding, you know, opportunities that people miss out on. Now I've got some bad news. Mm. All right. Because as I said, we really don't know what the Senate is planning. Okay. But we got some ideas from the Senate Finance Committee chairman, the main tax writing group in the Senate, right, from Juan Wyden, you know, who's the chair there. And this is going to shake up the investment world if he succeeds in getting this passed. He wants to carry do away with the tax efficient treatment of exchange traded funds. Okay. And that is going to be a big one. A big one if they if he gets past that. So if you're not familiar with this, it's the idea you know, you you might have caught wind or your investment advisors might have especially if you have taxable brokerage accounts saying, Well, no, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, it would be more tax efficient for you to buy ETFs as opposed to mutual funds because you get a big tax break, you know, where those mutual funds are you know you know that you get at the end of the year you get those capital gain distributions even if you didn't sell your positions well because of a, the way the law was written for ETFs they can get around that they don't need to make those year end taxable distributions so they became very popular in taxable accounts it's irrelevant whether if it's in an IRA because you don't pay taxes on capital gains anyways All right um so as the Democrats wrestle over how to pay for their $3.5 trillion budget package, a new proposal to tax exchange-traded funds has already received pushback from the investment industry. All right, so Senate Finance Chair you know, Ron Wyden wants to crack down on in-kind transactions with ETFs, which allow financial institutions to swap the underlying assets for, other, for another without producing capital gains. It's one of the primary tax advantages ETFs have over actively managed mutual funds, which distribute taxable gains to investors, often at the end of the year. Um, now, the, 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 the stickler about this is, Carrie, is if they do, if he did get this passed, I think that would fail President, Biden, President Biden's pledge not to tax people making under $400,000. So I'm not sure that Um, the other one Ron Wyden wants to do. So these are things we don't really know what the Senate's framework is. This is thinking. This is the agreed framework. Right. Um, The other one is he wants to change or wipe out independent contractors getting unemployment compensation. Ooh, that would I don't know about that. Uh, The Wyden plan would federalize California's failed economic experiment. Under his plan, a restrictive federal worker classification test is used to determine unemployment eligibility. And if states refuse to use the federal test, unemployment taxes for businesses in those states would become punitive, rising to 5.4% per employee. 
The goal of, of this plan is ultimately to force independent contractors in all 50 states to become employees W-2. for federal unemployment tax purposes. They want everybody W-2. Wyden views this bill as a top priority. Okay. Um, so that's that. That's another attack on the independent contractors. And, of course, one of the things why the government doesn't like independent contractors is because they can't track the true wages and the independent contractors' wages. They don't really believe that all those in the independent contractors are honestly reporting and paying Social Security taxes. They want, yeah, they're, and you think the politicians are too? <sighs> all right. Is that enough, Carrie? I don't know. There, I mean, there's so much to talk about this time of year. Um, and I wanted to, I mentioned last week, the other thing about the House Ways and Means is the idea that are they going to clamp down on estate tax loopholes, right? And again, so the general, as you know, that the current federal state tax exemption is $11.7 million. And couples get two of those with portability. Right. And so you don't need a fancy trust with credit shelter provisions anymore. And I'm not saying you throw that out, by the way. I'm just saying, you know, portability is just the idea that couples, even if they're not using a trust, can get the concept of at the first death, if if the the decedent's full lifetime gift federal state tax exemption, $11.7 million isn't used, the surviving spouse has a way to capture that and take it with them. So they could use it at their death, right? So that's how you get up to the $23.4 million federal state tax exemption under the current law, which probably eliminates the, the exposure to 99.99% of Americans. Right. Right. Now, we all know that President Trump, uh, 2017, the double that federal state tax exemption expires at the end of 2025. So right now, unless Congress extends or makes permanent that, then we're going to fall back. And in 2026, the federal state tax exemption is going to be cut in half. Okay. Cause mm-hmm. Trump's plan basically doubled it. And then, you know, so now, but what the house ways and means is they don't want to wait to 2026. They want to cut it in half right now, starting in 2022. All right. Um, so that's, the, that's, you know, we're waiting to see what the framework of the Senate says. All right. Um, now, but also in the, you know, remember the, the House Ways and Means, I think it was only about 881 pages, Gary. But, but in there, they also mentioned that they also want to limit several estate planning techniques that the Wall Street attorneys have been inventing, mm-hmm. you know, to yeah. for their wealthy clients to utilize. Okay. All right. And one of them is the slap. Okay which is the Spousal Lifetime Access Trust. Okay. Access Trust, right? And this is something that they really, we saw the use of these really pick up as soon as the people started realizing that the Democrats actually actually may win the election. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, meaning that they would be the Democrats would come into power because of all the that we all the Democrats right. have always said they 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 want to bring roll back the federal state tax right. exemption right. So what is a slap? Um, okay, it's an irrevocable trust where one spouse makes a gift into a trust to benefit the other spouse and potentially other family members while removing the assets from their combined estates. Okay. Um, and because a slat is funded with a gift made during the spouse's lifetime, any post-gift appreciation will take place in the trust and be excluded from the estate of both spouses for federal state taxation process. So what, what, they, what the idea here was saying, in other words, if you had it, it, you know, the current $11.7 million, you have that, your spouse has that, the idea is if you're concerned that that's going to be cut in half, you want to use your lifetime gift exclusion. You know, you can use that 11.7 up, 11.7 million up during your lifetime. You know, it's a lifetime gift exclusion right. unified right now with the federal state tax exemption. Right. And if you use up during your lifetime, you still don't have to pay any gift tax. It just says if you use it during your lifetime, you don't get to use it at death. 
Okay. Okay. But the idea is if you if you don't use it during your lifetime and they take it away, you never get to use it. Right. And if I shift money into that asset, I'm um, getting it out of my state, then isn't all the growth just stay into That's the trust? That's what they're saying. Now so the that- future growth is is not going to go through the estate tax grinder. Sounds good to me. And the idea is, yeah, but, yeah, but what if my wife needs it? Well, isn't it for the benefit of your spouse? That's why we call it the spousal well, right, I was gonna because say, they have access to it. Right. I was going to say, isn't that the name of it? Spousal <laughs> access. All right. And and even and they're even saying that even if the husband and he can, and I'm just using the husband and wife, right. he could interchange it. But if the if the husband is still living, the wife actually could take the money out for her benefit. <laughs> And if she if she's still married to the husband, do you think maybe they could jointly spend it? Uh, yeah, I think it's a win win win. The only person that loses is our government. Eh, um, I'm okay with that. Now the other thing too is that <clears throat> it's a it's it's effectively a grantor trust. Meaning, you know, see one of the things that how the government makes it un, uh, unpopular to put money into irrevocable trust is that trusts and estates file their own tax return, right? And they have their own tax ID. Right, and so there's a compliance. They're, not under, they're under, not under your social security number. They have their own identity. Right, and so if there's taxable income, they pay a, they get to that higher bracket much more quickly. Oh, for, if you haven't seen, the trust rates are a lot different than yeah, our individual I mean, tax rates. Just for example, married filing jointly, you get to the 37 bracket, current 37 bracket, at 628000 of income, right? A trust in estates gets to the thirty-seven bracket with not six hundred thirty-eight thousand dollars income of thirteen thousand dollars and fifty dollars of income. So even though you're sheltering it and having to pay higher taxes, right? The thought is that it's still better than leaving it in your state. But here's the point: the way that Wall Street attorneys do it is a grantor trust. So it's an effectively defect is intentionally defective grantor trust, which means that for tax purposes they can still report the income on their individual tax returns at the lower rates. Uh-huh. And so the trust doesn't have to pay those excessive taxes. Okay. And now they're using, again, they're using assets in the taxable state to pay the income taxes. So that's further reducing their estate tax exposure on their inside estate. It's the way the politicians wrote the laws. Now, if you think this sounds too good to be legal, now you know why the Democrats are trying to shut it down. But here's the point. What they did say, you know, back in November of 2019, the, tre- the, the Treasury Department and the, and the IRS m- m- came out with a final regulation that said, if you maneuver, if you use up your $11.7 million or any part of that mm-hmm. during your lifetime before they take it away or reduce right. it, the IRS will not claw it back at your death. So maybe if you are in that scenario, you want to take advantage of that opportunity while it's on the table. And the way the House and Means wrote this is this the, taking away these estate taxes or lower is a 2022. It's not going to be retroactive. Opportunities in 2021. Call the estate planning team for a free consultation at 440-239-2090 or visit financialfoodforthought.com. All right. Go Browns. Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.